Welcome to Witch Talks, a series for spiritual seekers, witches, and enlightened souls. I'm Hannah the Suburban Witch, an intuitive tarot reader, astrologer, and eclectic witch, and I hope you're ready to get up close and personal with your favorite witches. In this episode, I'm chatting with Jenny Tyson, an expert in divinatory art of scrying and dowsing. She is a psychic medium, and I'm so looking forward to sharing Jenny's work and wisdom with you today. So let's get into it. She is joining us via Zoom all the way from Cape Breton in Canada. Hey, Jenny, welcome to the show. Hi, it's good to be here. So great to have you here, and I'm sure you do so much more than this too. So do you want to start off by telling us a little bit more about what you do in the spiritual world? Well, um, as you said, I am a, I am a psychic medium. Um, I, do, uh, I do belong to a, a charity and a coven. It's called Circle of the Ravens. It's here in Cape Breton. And there's just a few of us. You know, it's an island. We're a small community, middle of nowhere. <laughs> so I do belong. I do, I do uh, classes on scrying and I do classes on channeling. Um, I'm also involved in uh, CE5 groups. And this is human initiated alien con- uh, extraterrestrial contact. And this is where a group of people attempt to contact um, somebody from a different civilization, an extraterrestrial civilization. and the Skywatch uh, version of it, you're, you want them to fly a craft over you. That's fascinating. But I have a, a different version of it whereby we channel information. And I think that's very, very interesting. I've certainly gotten some very interesting results with those experiments. And I teach other people how to do this. I, can, I, engineer, I engineer techniques and then I teach. Fantastic. I am so excited to jump right into both of those topics, all of those topics. So you've just released a book titled The Art of Scrying and Dowsing, Foolproof Ways for Foolproof Methods for ESP and Remote Viewing. For the listeners out there who may not be familiar with these terms, can you describe what scrying, dowsing, and ESP and remote viewing are in your own words? Okay, scrying. Scrying is an ancient art of looking into a like a clear or semi-opaque object and discerning um, discerning visual information. A good example of this is like when you lay down on the grass on a nice day and look at the clouds and see shapes in the clouds. That's the best um, description of the activity that I could give you. Uh, dowsing is using usually using a pendulum and observing the pendulum for certain responses. Uh, dowsing is a yet usually a yes or no response, or it identifies a place on a map or a place on the ground. Um, tools used for dowsing, you see the Y sticks. Um, people douse for ley lines, they douse for water on the ground, they douse for gold, both on maps and in like when you're going panning, you go in the creeks and you can douse in the creeks for gold. Uh, ESP, extrasensory perception. ESP is any kind of perception that occurs apart from your five senses of sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. and then remote viewing is using those the ESP to describe a location, 
an object, activity, or event that is something that you cannot see, touch, hear, or taste and smell um, from your from where you are at that present time. Mm -hmm. And is there any limit to remote viewing? Can you see anywhere in time, space? Anywhere, at any time. You can see any entity, being, planet, uh, universe. You can see anything from any time and any location in space, time, and beyond. That's There's no limits. There's no limits whatsoever. In fact, it, this, this lack of limit thing makes it actually harder to know what to do. Where do you start with all this? You want to go play Star Trek, right? Yeah, I love I like playing Star Trek, you know? <laughs> That's my thing. You go out. Well, you can go anywhere and you just don't, you're there instantly and you see instantly. It's hard to know where to start. It's hard to know. There's so much, there's too much too many places and and it's not only unlimited in place it's unlimited in time you can go back in the deep past you can go in the distant future there's no limit to what you can do with this fantastic it sounds very handy to have that skill i was involved in a um, in a parapsychology group that was um doing like really hard targets like a black and white like horse racing um gaming um financial up or down, black and white. So it's like a hit or miss type of reports. Mm -hmm. So those are really, those were really good for doing, for testing out my techniques. Cause because if I wasn't accurate, it would say miss. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there was, there was no mercy. There was no waffling. There was no cheating. No way you could cheat on this. It was either hit or miss. And so that's what I used to, to help improve my, um, my ability. And you know, also engineer it so that I could teach it effectively and, um, you know, make it streamlined and efficient so that anybody could use it. The system that I come up with to me is not any good unless I can teach it. I mean, if I, if I can do it, when I die, it's going to be gone. That's going to be lost. We don't want that to happen. I want other people to be able to do this and to be able to, to you know, to, to come to uh, see the things that I've seen and to have a, as much fun as I've had with this. Absolutely. Now, because you do teach this, is your method of scrying and dowsing, is it different to the way other people would traditionally teach it? Do you have something unique to your method? Generally, when scrying is taught, um, you're, there's, there's, there's two basic methods. There's the Golden Dawn method where you create a retinal, um, a retinal imprint of a, of a symbol and then close your eyes and imagine yourself in it. And there's the, just the crystal where you uh, gaze at the crystal until things start to waver and you start to see uh, things moving around within the crystal. I don't do that. This scrying book does not teach either one of those. I use a different technique. I use flash perception. That is like you glance at something quickly and then sketch it immediately. And that's, that works better. And it's actually, I found that to more accurate than um, than doing the what I call the stare and prayer. Uh, now the stare and prayer has other applications, but the method in the book itself, the beginner method, actually it can be used at any level. But but the easiest method is flash perception, where you glance at something and then write down the first perception that comes to you, 
or that you see. So it can be either visual or in your imagination. It doesn't make any difference. Mm -hmm. So is that the method that you use, whether you're scrying with a crystal or with clouds or anything like that, that flash perception, regardless of the item you're using? Yes, it's more accurate. I found it. I I tried both methods. I can do both. Um, But I found the flash perception method to be like, uh, like, I don't know, over 50% more accurate um, overall than the um, staring prayer. I'm excited to to give that a go myself now. I have a black obsidian scrying mirror and the sitting down with the dim light and really going into that meditative space, it takes time. So yeah. this sounds like a fast-paced way to sort of get what I need uh, in a timely manner so I can get back to what else I have to do. So Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I have, there is value to to doing that, you know, to sitting and staring at the mirror and gazing at the mirror, I should say, and going into that meditative state. Um, but for information, you want, you want to move, you want, you want to gain information, you want to gain a sizable amount of information in a short period of time because you lose your focus very, you know, most people lose their focus after about 15 minutes, beginners. Now, with experience, you can keep it up to about a half an hour. But most of my sessions, I can gain a huge amount of information in 15 minutes, in a 15 minutes session. And I find that I find that to be a little bit more interesting, um, you know, as far as like finding like also it works better for like hard targets. So like, for example, if I want to go see what's happening um, in Perth and, you know, I want to go to the beach there and see who's on the beach. Well, this quick method, the flash method will give me better information. You can use it with um, with tarot cards and I go into tarot scrying. And for, you know, for those of us who are experienced with tarot, and I'm sure you are, you, you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're familiar with tarot. Okay. I am, yes. This method used with ta- with a tarot deck is, is very powerful and very, very accurate. Uh, you could do an amazing, amazing things with a tarot deck if you, if you use the technique with them. Mm-hmm. So would that be simply pulling a card, look at it, and then just go into your interpretation and start writing it down or sketching it out? Or how does it differ to the standard reading of a card? When you work with a target, you do not know what that target is at the time. It is hidden from your conscious mind. That's one of the primary features of this system. Mm-hmm. So you write down your questions. You write down at least four questions. Each question has to have like a time and place. It has to be, has to have a physical aspect, especially for a beginner. Mm-hmm. Now for a beginner, I suggest like things like the Eiffel Tower at such and such a time or the Newfoundland Ferry at such and such a time, whatever landmark, you know, pick a landmark, pick a time, pick a moment in history that you can go back and check your information against the facts. This is a, you know, you want to be able to do that reality check um, as you you know, when you, when you finish your session. So you don't know what you're supposed to be looking at when you do this, it's hidden from your conscious mind. It will be, it will force you to rely on your intuition. It will make your, make your focus more on your intuition than on your reasoning. Um, so you're not going to read the tarot cards like you, like this tarot card means this, and that tarot card means that, um, and the hard thing is to move away from that <laughs> I bet. because how much time do we spend studying the layers of meaning of the tarot cards? Mm-hmm. And now I'm saying, ditch it, get, you know, toss it away. 
-hmm. just set, actually set it aside because we want to be gentle with our mind, right? You know, it's not yes. worthless. There's meaning to it. There's goodness in it. So, but for this, you're going to just look at the images and let your eye be drawn to certain shapes, colors, movement, and things like that in the card. And you're going to sketch that down. And then once you have the sketches down, you do like, I, I usually do three cards, um, one to three cards. It depends on the deck. Like I got this new deck called the, the Starman deck. I only need to do one card because there's so much in each, each image that it's like, I can just, I can just go through that thing all day long and, and still come up with stuff. You go through that, you sketch it out, and then you compare your sketch, you reveal your target, compare your sketch to what was in that target. <laughs> so that target, is that potentially something you've hidden away in an envelope, like a, a word for what it might be, so you don't know it before you start your scrying session? Is that how you, it works? You, no, you, you, you can decide. Now, the way I have it is that you decide, you write down the questions, you write them on slips of paper, you put them in a bag, you draw one of the questions or one of the targets. I call it a target. I'm trained in CRV, so that's the way I'm used to talking. <laughs> but it's a good description of it because that's what you're doing. You're shooting for that bullseye, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you're going to take one of those out. You're going to set it aside, but you're not going to look at it. You're going to put the bag aside and you're going to do your session. You're going to take out your tarot card. If you're scrying with a tarot card, you're going to take out your tarot card, sketch, 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 sketch. And you focus on sketching. That's 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 one thing that's that's different. You're not looking for words. You're looking for pictures. So you want to sketch. This is visual information that you're looking for. Mm. The visual information is, is, the sketched information is always, almost always more accurate than anything else that you come up with in the session. Now, is this just flowing through your arm or is this you're seeing it in your mind's eye and now replicating it onto paper? Um, it just, I've done it so much, it's just automatic. I glance and go and I sketch. Yes. I'm like looking here and sketching with the other hand. You know, I, I move very, I move very fast. If I write words down, it's like chicken scratching. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I when I was writing the book, I had to do a couple of case studies. Now, one of them was on the Ark of the Covenant, because like I'm an Indiana Jones fan. I yep. love Indiana Jones, right? So I had to do the Ark of the Covenant as, a, as one of the possible targets. Okay, the, the five targets, the five targets for the Indiana Jones uh, case study were um, a living dinosaur um, at, at the time of the dinosaurs. And dinosaurs are cool. I like doing dinosaurs too. Um, Stonehenge, when it was being built, the city of Atlantis and then the Ark of the Covenant. So all those went into there. I wrote them down on slips of paper, put one out, and it turned out to be the Ark of the Covenant. And that was like, I intended to put that in the book as a case study. So I did my I did my sketches a little bit neater than I usually do them because <laughs> usually they, <laughs> I didn't want it to be totally embarrassing, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but that's the kind of thing that's the kind of thing that you do to determine the target and then you go through you know you can do it in your mind's eye you can do it internally you can look in the in a crystal and you know just flash images will come to you either in your mind or you'll see them in the you know the same way that you see any other scrying image or you can like have like rice and a mixture of rice and yarn and stuff like that brick back throw that down, take a look at that's called casting, like casting the bones, the same thing. Um, and you just, you look for the shapes and stuff in there. Um, you can do the clouds, it works too. 
and the trees. Um, I have lots of trees here. <laughs> Sounds like the sky's the limit. Yeah, yeah. So you can do you can do that any way that anything that evokes an, a, a visual image for you will work for this. And is this book written for people who are beginners and maybe have never delved into their psychic senses before, or do they need to have some form of practice or ability there already? No, anybody can do this. It um, the reading. I, I try to keep the reading time down, the learning time down to about an hour. Um, so, I mean, you, if you go through this book, just go through and practice it as you go, because that's that by the time you get done, you're, you, you, you have the technique. Mm -hmm. It takes a long time. It takes time to master it, but you can be a total beginner with no psychic development whatsoever. In fact, you don't even have to believe in psychic stuff. This will work. Yep. Yep. So how do you deal with skeptics? Oh, I make them do a session. <laughs> And how does that turn out? They either run away or they get curious and then they're like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> or they or they or they get in total denial and say, well, that's that's nothing. And you can tell that they're scared to death, you know, that they're mm -hmm. they're just like really uncomfortable at this point. But that's a, that's really the best thing to do. You just put them through. Um, you do a session with them. I I, I find that that works better. It's like, they want me to show, they want me to demonstrate that I'm special. I'm not special. I'm not a gifted psychic. I'm really not. I'm just an average person as far as psychic ability is concerned, but I figured out how, how to identify it and how to isolate it in such a way that I can just look at the ESP information instead of all this junk that my mind wants to inject into it. Mm -hmm. And that's the trick right there. It's just eliminating is getting that clear pathway to the actual ESP information, which is very subtle. It's not something that's going to come screaming at you most of the time for most of us. Now I know there are talented people out there and there's, you know, I don't have any issue with that, but I'm not one of those people. I had to work for it. I had to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And, and because I, because I was able to figure it out, I could help other people tread that same path I left a trail of breadcrumbs and that's what the book is for yeah now how did you yourself figure out these talents that you had how did you fall into scrying and dowsing well it's it started with a Ouija board <laughs> my husband and I decided to try an experiment he was writing a book on the history of Dr. John D now Dr. Mm -hmm. John G was a 16th century astrologer and he had a professional, very talented professional psychic named Edward Kelly. And mm -hmm. they had some very interesting experiences together. They, um, they scribed angels and they came up with all these unusual tables and language and figures and everything else like that. They didn't know what it was. They were trying to figure out how to do alchemy because they believed mm -hmm. that angels held the secret to alchemy. So every, all their work was focused on being able to transmute base metal into gold. They were into metal alchemy. So this is, this is what they were trying to do with it. They were, they were trying to talk to the angels and talk them into showing them the secret. Well, the problem is, is that the secret of alchemy doesn't lie in putting physical materials together. It lies completely in spirit. And that's what the angels were trying to show them but they didn't understand. And 
I mean, even looking at it, it's just like, you know, being able to actually apply it um, to a real situation would be very difficult. It's, it's really something that humans at this point in our, our psychic development are not quite ready to do yet. So anyway, that's how it started. Donovan was doing a history piece on that. And we decided to try and contact Dr. D with the, uh, through the Ouija board. Well, we did. I made a special Ouija board for because I'm like a crafty person, right? Mm-hmm. And and we we did the session and, and we kept them coming up with the letter D. And Donald didn't really think that it was anything. He's like, well, I don't think anything happened today. And we go upstairs and we watch TV for a little bit. And then he was like, oh, my gosh, I figured it out. It was a code that Dr. D used to describe his name and he used it in his diaries. Mm-hmm. And that's what he came up, that's what we came up with. And then at that point I was like, I gotta find out how to communicate better. So I went to a device called the ghost box, which is basically a radio that scans through the stations automatically and at a very fast rate. And went through this whole, I mean, I was able to make contact, I was able to build tools, everything just by listening on that radio, listening to the recordings. Eventually I was able just to listen to the radio and eventually I didn't need the radio at all. I was able to hear them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that whole thing led to Claire audience. And then at that point, this happened when I was in my forties and I'd never no no, nothing, nothing before that. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very big adjustment. It's a bigger adjustment as you're an adult, you know, a middle-aged adult than it is when a small child is learning that they just sort of take it for granted. Well, with an adult, it could be really disruptive. And I was having problems with it. So I took a course in uh, control remote viewing with Lynn Buchanan, uh, former Stargate. And I, I studied that for about two years. And then I worked with uh, Marty Rosenblatt at Applied Precognition. I worked in some of those groups and I learned to control my ability. And then I was able to not only control it, but I was actually able to engineer and re-engineer and back engineer all this other stuff that I had wanted to be able to do since I started into this, into, you know, this esoteric world, the spiritual, the spiritual walk. And so that's kind of how it got started. Nostradamus, now, you know, he wrote, he wrote in four quatrains, okay, four, he wrote it in poetry. And each line of the quatrain has a different image to it. And I realized when I read his quatrains that the quatrains were actually done very quickly. He did scrying, he scried in a basin of water. And I think what he probably did was that he stirred up the water, did a flash image, wrote it down, flash image, wrote it down, flash image, wrote it down. And as I read through his work, I realized, I I figured out that that's what he was doing. So I tried it out and lo and behold, I found that it was much more accurate than than doing the the traditional way of just uh, gazing into something. Mm -hmm. I think he did it very quickly. I think he stirred up the water, did a flash and then boom, boom, boom. And the quatrains were probably written. He probably wrote them. uh, The session was probably about 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and I, you know, like I said, I experimented with it. It turned out that it worked. And that's how, that's one of the, that's, that's how I got that uh, technique for the book. I love that. It sounds very intuitive. It just flowed to you and you figured it out. That's great. Yeah. I'd also don't think he was writing in code. 
Um, I think he was writing things exactly as he saw them. One of the things that I noticed that um, when I was learning Scrang, what they were saying, these 16th century astrologers were saying, say it or write it exactly as you see it, constantly emphasizing that. So I don't know. I think, I think, you know, if I was really perceiving what they said, I think that's probably how Nostradamus also learned it, write it exactly as you see it. Mm -hmm. um, so, I don't know for sure. There's no way to confirm that, but but it works. And I mean, I could come up with the same result um, by by replicating that method. I can I can literally, you know, it's literally just about the same sort of thing that Nostradamus uh, came up with. He was using mm -hmm. his astrology. He was progressing his astrology chart. So that um, he used a, um, astrology as sort of a dial. So I'm gonna dial this time. Stir the water. Boom, stir the water, two, line three, line four. So it's like mm -hmm. dial, scry, dial, scry, that kind of thing. And if you look at is if you look at the quatrains, thinking that, uh, looking at that, you'll look at them and say, oh yeah, that that that's that's you know, I can see where you're coming up with that. Mm -hmm. so. Fascinating. I interrupt your listening pleasure to ask you if you're enjoying this podcast. I ask because this series is a labor of love. And if you like what you're hearing, consider signing up as a Patreon supporter to see its continued success. Not only will you receive exclusive access to my private Facebook group, but also monthly live readings and moon ritual worksheets. Head over to patreon.com forward slash suburban witchery to sign up now. And now back to the show. Do you have any advice for anyone who is wanting to get into scrying and they might be really unsure where to start? What's the, the first thing that people should do? Start with a book. Start with pencil and paper. Uh, mm -hmm. Set the tools aside until you kind of have the technique down in the book because the, the techniques in this book are, are designed for somebody who has no experience and has like, you know, doesn't think that they have any psychic ability you don't have to believe in it to start this. Mm -hmm. You just have to follow the directions. If you follow the directions, um, it should, you know, it, it should work. Everybody that I've taught, according to the directions in the book, have been able to learn to scry. And the, the, the classes are much quicker. The quickest we've ever done it is 20 minutes. But this was mm -hmm. with a group of witches. They already had some experience. Um, with um, with tarot and stuff like that, so they were already a fairly experienced group. Learning the the scrying technique didn't take long at all. Mm -hmm. Even the beginners were able to do it in the space of an hour. And I have a I have a group on Facebook. So if you have problems with something, I'm more than happy to help you out with it. Fantastic! I'm sure there'll be lots of listeners out there that will be definitely taking up on that offer because it is such a fascinating topic to learn how to scry and divine information that way. I love it myself and mm -hmm. I know that lots of people out there will love that as well. Now you're working on another book, aren't you? Can you share with us a little bit about that one? Um, the next book that's going to be, it's been accepted for publishing is uh, Modern Methods for True Telepathic and Spirit Communication. Fantastic. And what is this book going to be about? Have you channeled this book or has it come from you? Uh, this book is a basic, originally this book was the second half of the scrying book. Mm -hmm. um, these were, it was originally one manuscript, 600 pages long. That's a manuscript. <laughs> yeah. I just, once I, once I figured this out, I was just like, 
it was like a it was like a great big snowball. I mean, I wrote this. I wrote the original manuscript out in the space of about three months, which is like, you know, I'm not that experienced of a writer. I'm not like, you know, super writer upstairs there, Donald. <laughs> My husband's a very proficient writer and he's a good writer. He's a good editor too. But, um, you know, it was just, it was just, it just came very, very quickly. And then when we looked at the manuscript, he's like, this is too long. Um, they're not going to accept this. And so I says, well, let, let me split it in half. And he says, both books have to be standalone books. So mm -hmm. the art of channeling is a standalone book, but it has many of the same techniques that the art of scrying has. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I basically use a channeling method. Uh, same thing with the hidden, uh, hidden, the questions are hidden. So you're relying entirely on your telepathic communication with the spirit or the ET or animal spirit whatever you're talking to in you know, whatever spiritual entity that you're talking to or telepathic entity that you're talking to, the questions are going to be hidden. That forces you to rely on your telepathy. It also helps eliminate some of those biases that cause inaccurate, um, inaccurate um, scrying and channeling to be done. So the book uh, art of channeling uh, details that technique. In addition to that, um, it uh, goes into some trance channeling and it also goes into like specific applications. Now, the art of scrying and the art of channeling can be used with any system. So like if you want to use it, if you're a shaman and you want to use it to communicate with um, animal spirits or find out, you know, shamanic secrets, um, you can use it. It can be applied to shamanism. It's sort of a plug and play. You can use it with anything. It's not meant to be for a specific religion. It doesn't have um, uh, like, um, like circles and, um, and, and things like that. Like, uh, you know, like the cleansing rituals, smudging circles, um, things that uh, you would use specifically for like a wicked circle uh, or a magic circle. Um, so it's meant to be used by anybody. Uh, it, you don't have to have any religious affiliation to apply the information. Um, Art of Channeling also has um, has uh, applications for uh, work with uh, extraterrestrials. And these are telepath mostly telepathic entities um, that are also physical. I have, a, I have um, you know, channeling uh, hints for those kind of spirits. The case studies, um, I channeled uh, Edgar Casey on the uh, use of crystals. Uh, mm -hmm. raven, a raven spirit, which was, I didn't know it would turn out that well. I had the Raven Spirit describe a park that's close to here. It's called Round Pond, Round Pond uh, Park. It's a swimming hole. And, and the Raven Spirit was describing to me from its perspective, like they're afraid of being closed in. They don't like car doors because it's like a beak snapping, a threat, like the mm -hmm. beak snapping. And things like that from the perspective of a raven, what does that park look like and human activity look like to a raven? Mm -hmm. And I got I got a really good picture of it. It turned out the the session turned out to be really, really a lot more interesting than I was expecting. The raven was focused on finding food and was surprised that I wasn't looking for food there. Mm -hmm. He thought the spirit thought that I was there to find food. Which makes me wonder if somebody had been using raven spirits before to find food. Mm -hmm. 
fascinating. But, yeah. I mean, it was like, it was, I wasn't really expecting that. I didn't know what would happen when I tried to channel an animal spirit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that's not really my path. Right. Um, I'm very eclectic, but I'm, if I'm very eclectic, but, but my, my thing, I'm a Star Trek person, sort of person. Like I want to meet aliens, <laughs> you know, I like the ET. Yeah. And finding out information, how do you go from one star system to another? How, how do you heal people? Like there's been reports of people going on UFOs and being healed. How do you do that? Mm. How do you go from one place to another? How do you, what do you guys eat? <laughs> Have you had any physical alien encounters before? Like yes. uh, seen a, a ship or anything like that? Can you tell us about that? Two weeks ago, um, actually, we, I took our coven. We had a little retreat went to a campsite. We did a CE5, which is an, uh, like a meditation where you intentionally contact. And we were seeing, we saw like a signal. I asked them to signal us by flashing lights. We saw stuff flashing and it wasn't like, it wasn't like, like an airplane type of thing. It was like flash, jump, flash, jump, flash, jump like that. And then the next morning at dawn, when we were all sort of breaking camp over our camp, was a silver disc about, I don't know, maybe 9,000 feet above us. It signaled us and then it skipped across the sky. There's no way that a plane could do that. All of us saw five of us. We're just standing there. Hey! (laughs) We're so excited. Yeah, did it it feel playful or did it feel like menacing? How did it feel to you? We were excited. We were happy. It was a yes. joyful thing. We were all jumping up and down and waving our arms. And <laughs> you know, it's it's amazing how how much energy the group had when just at that in, instant, and all of a sudden we realized that oh my gosh, this really worked. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Have you encountered any information when you've been channeling these extraterrestrials? Uh, any answers to these questions you have about the universe and you know healing mm-hmm. methods and things like that? Have you found any interesting information? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll go into the healing. The the um, the interstellar flight um, is accomplished. Um, some of the some civilizations um, can do this without using craft. It's basically an advanced form of astral projection. They have it. They're able to do the astral projection so powerfully that they can actually bring objects back and forth. But that's it's something that it starts out as being just like what we do with an astral projection. They learn to do it as a group, in a group, all together, and eventually you can add tools to it that built built around that um, that. Uh, spiritual ability but the spiritual ability comes first they can do um, they can go from go to a planet and they can bring back something from a planet um, without using any tools at all they can do that just with their mind with the with the training that they've had mm-hmm. once they discovered how to do this the civil the people that have that i've talked to say that once their civilization discovered how to do this then they, the civilization became very focused on exploration Curiosity is a universal trait. Once they discover how that, oh my goodness, we can go someplace else. There's not a, I, I wasn't able to talk to any civilization that wanted to stay home. Mm. <laughs> Everybody said they wanted to go out and see what was out there and find out, you know, find new information. Mm. Um, 
you know, and I talked to one group, I talked to one entity that, that said, we never developed the tools, we just always used our minds. Um, they weren't very interested in tool making. And then I have another um, civilization that's very similar to human civilization. And they said, we were, we were like tribal warring and that kind of thing, very hit, similar history to, to our history. And they said, they tried space flight and people died. Their son had a lot more of the lethal radiation output than our son does. And nobody survived spaceflight. And then they eventually learned how to bypass going through space. So they do it by bypassing going through space. They use, their, use basically a, an advanced form of astral projection. Would that potentially explain sometimes the movement of UFOs is very erratic or it is just so incredibly fast or it can appear and then disappear and people have said potentially cloaking devices but could it just be that they astral project to this spot and then to that spot moving in that manner do you think that's how it is i think i think that that the craft i think they have developed tools around the ability okay so once they have that ability then they learn from other civilizations how to build those tools the, the ones that are inclined to build tools not everybody builds tools a lot of civilizations never never get to that point um, but they still they still can do exploration um, so you know I think the tools are different um, the, the craft are local uh, they fly within the atmosphere they fly within the heliosphere of the sun. Now, according to this particular contact, he says they can't fly their craft outside of the heliosphere. He said that they're limited to the solar system. He says we can't we can't survive outside of that. It protects against uh, certain types of radiation that apparently is uh, very bad for um, for bodies for you know living tissue. So, I, I can only tell you what these. The civilizations, the people that I've talked to, and I've only talked to a couple of them. I mean, there's there's hundreds, maybe even thousands visiting us. Mm-hmm. So everybody's going to have a different angle on on what tools they use when they're here. But from going, what I'm talking about is going from like one star system to another. They don't go through space. Mm-hmm. They get, they sit down. It's like a big box. It's like well, this. Like I said, this is just one civilization, right? They have this big metal box and they go into the metal box and they have something there that flies, but it doesn't fly. They sit in it. They have three people inside the craft, two people outside the craft, and they project it um, using a using some sort of machine. Um, that, but, but they could do the same thing. If they five of them just sat there, they could do exactly the same thing without using any of those tools. Mm. It really does sound like, I too am a Star Trek fan, uh, so forgive me anyone listening that is not, but it does definitely sound like they're transporting, but just over really, really, really long distances. Is that right. kind of yeah. what it feels like too? Yeah, yeah. And remember too, like every time you do a channeling session or a scrying session, you're going to have accurate information and you're going to have inaccurate information. Mm-hmm. So, well, the, the piece that's accurate here, I know that they can't go through physical space. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I mean, the, the radiation and everything um, that I came up with in the session um, indicated it, it, it's consistent with what we know about, you know, leaving the magnetosphere of Earth. The magnetosphere protects our bodies against radiation emitted from stars, emitted from supernovas and other 
um, space bodies um, that would be lethal to to us physically. And it already, I mean, like even within the helio, I'm sorry, even within the magnetosphere, the astronauts still sustain damage. I mean, their vision, their vision gets bad, their bodies, their bodies weaken, you know, it affects their spine, it affects their nervous system, even just short trips. And I mean, we're talking to go from one star to another through, you know, with a bomb, you know, with their little tin can. I mean, you're talking about hundreds of years. So you know, it's not, it's, it's not physically possible, but we know that we know that the ETs are coming here in mancraft. We know that they're physically here. Mm. I've seen one on the ground. I know they're here. Now, have you seen a being itself or just the craft? Yes. No, I've seen a being on the ground. What did they look like? Weird. <laughs> it was a weird experience. I don't think they wanted me to see them. Not all of them are friendly. Mm. Um, I was driving, I was driving home from the, I think it was from the grocery store. I stopped at a stoplight and there's a car behind me and the stoplight turned green and I heard somebody say, get going. And, you know, I mean, it startled me because the voice was so loud, right? Mm -hmm. And I looked up in my rear view mirror and there was a very peculiarly dressed woman a scarf on her head. And this is summertime. It's like 32 degrees. And uh, trust me, the humidity here, it's, you know, Humidex is like 39 degrees. I know doesn't compare to Australian heat, but for us, it's hot. <laughs> for us, it's hot. <laughs> We're dying. <laughs> so I'm sitting there in shorts and sweats. And, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just soaking wet and sweat so hot. And this woman's got a scarf on her head and these big wraparound sunglasses and I'm like, I'm kind of wondering about the sunglasses. I think that was an illusion. I think my mm -hmm. mind just was like, that has to be sunglasses because the alternative is unacceptable. Yeah. So anyways, I was like, okay. And we looked at each other and we both knew that I knew. It was no, there was no mistaking that contact. It was like, we both knew. And it was, there was no possibility for doubt whatsoever. So I get to the next, as we come up to the next stoplight, she charges around me, rises on the shoulder and then turns away and goes, goes down, down a different road than where I'm going. Panicked, mm. freaked out, obviously freaked out. Cause I mean, she was, she left me in the dust. She floored it. So, I mean, I don't know what else that could be. There was no way if you make eye contact, if you make eye contact, there's just no way you're going to doubt it. Yeah, I've actually heard so many similar stories. I really enjoy reading up on alien experiences. And I've read a lot about the Zeta Reticuli in particular, and them not being particularly friendly either. But it's interesting that most of them, when they are spotted, and people know, they, they do, they bolt. And everyone often says, they knew I knew. You just, you don't know how, but you know that they know that you know. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that seems like a recurring theme with these sorts of encounters. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know that I trust uh, that they're from a particular star system. I'm kind of, I'm kind of on the line because the thing is, is that when you try to identify something like that, you're going, you're, Zeta Reticuli is fairly close. And I think mm. you're kind of limiting um, what's going on. The, the, the people that I spoke to, um, 
and and this was really crazy, but they said there were human beings that were transplanted that were colonized back in time, mm. close to a million years on a completely different star system. And the star system is so far from here that the light of Earth's star has not yet reached their planet. That's how it's out of the line of sight um, from Earth. They can't identify, they can't, through astronomy, they cannot identify our planet system. Wow. Now you mentioned healing as well. So how how are they healing people when, when they are being taken onto ship and that sort of thing or healing each other? Okay. This is the same um, human-like um, civilization. Um, they have, they train their healers from childhood. Uh, the closest system that we have to that, they use primarily in energy healing. I've actually seen them do a demonstration um, mm -hmm. of this. And it's like, it's like, not like anything I've ever, I've ever seen before. They have, the closest system is Reiki or Taoist, uh, maybe even Taoist sorcery might be, might be kind of close. It's an initiatory system. They use movement, they use dance uh, quite extensively in this, in their training. Uh, for healing, they have a group of 10 people sitting in a circle. And then there's three people that are outside of that. And I'm not sure what the purpose of those of the outside three people is. Um, and these 10 people, um, you know, just like when they're going to another planet, they're telepathically unified and focused on this one thing. And, 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 and then they, they know how to send that energy out. They raise the energy, send it and heal that person. It's very, it's a very reliable system and they can heal anything. Fascinating. And that's non, non-invasive as well. No, it isn't. Um, the closest thing I can think of is Reiki. And mm -hmm. it, I was so, in fact, I was so, I was so affected by this, by this perception. I actually, I've actually taken, I started a course in Reiki. I started studying Reiki myself because it's really, it does remind me a great deal of Reiki. Mm. Uh, it's not exactly the same. There's different, they use different tools, different symbols. They, you know, the dance, the dance thing is, I mean, it's, the dancing keeps coming through and mm -hmm. the dance actually looks like a martial art. They have a, it's, it's a, it's a martial art dance. They have like, like an object that they're juggling. Um, they have, it's like a juggling motion. Um, it's very beautiful, but it's also very, very, um, very oriental um, mm -hmm. to my to my eye. It's very fast. Uh, it looked like it was, you know, like it was used in warfare at one time, maybe. I wonder if that's a form of raising energy in that circle that they create in order to do this energy movement, or if it's something else entirely. I don't know. I've just started like, I mean, this is out of like four sessions. So I don't have a really complete picture at this point. Mm -hmm. um, but, but it's, but it's still interesting. I mean, how, you know, where, you know, we haven't been able to get pictures like this before. That's really, that's really interesting information. That's good information. Yeah. Um, I was healed. They healed me. Um, in the first, in my first book, spiritual alchemy, I described that and I'm still healed. I mean, the, I had a sinus problem. I had migraine headaches, horrible, horrible migraine headaches. And I was healed from that and I'm still healed. I'll have to read that book as well. I, I am also someone who suffers from migraines. So I'll have to give that a read and see if I can hook myself up with some healing. <laughs> what they told me would be a good idea for us to do would be to learn Reiki 
and um, and then and then do Reiki uh, with a group focus instead of doing it as an individual, which is what they do. They always work in groups. They don't work individually. Like we, we're very independent. We like to do things individually, but they find power in learning to join each other telepathically and working in a group. Mm. And their telepathic, their psychic ability, when they started doing this was the same as ours. They weren't really that, they're not really any different than we are that way. Um, but uh, as they grew, you know, I mean, kids who, who had stronger abilities were valued and, you know, they eventually just over the course of time, because those kind of abilities became very valued in that civilization and, you know, rewarded economically in the same way that we reward like doctors and lawyers economically. People who have knowledge in our civilization are well rewarded. The, the thing that, I, that impressed me with this is that we're not really that different. Cultural, I mean, they're culturally they're different, um, but, you know, I mean, as far as our physical physique, um, our tolerances to radiation and everything else like that, our mental intelligence and our psychic, native psychic ability is not really much different than theirs was. I wanted, I wanted somebody who had no belief at all, be able to pick this book up, read through it and use it without, and, and, you know, and, and be the, the primary parameter being that you follow the directions and the directions are like step by step. I'm doing this and this is why I'm doing this. And this is why I did this book from a very pragmatic point of view. And what I figured is like, you know, which is, uh, which is, even though they're not um, atheists, even though we have beliefs, our beliefs vary tremendously. You know, you have, I mean, in, in our movement, in, in, in the Wiccan movement, you have people like me that's very, I'm very eclectic, more hoodoo than anything else, perhaps, as far as the magic is concerned. Um, you know, I have a little bit of Catholic, I have a little bit of Gardnerian, you know, a, a little bit of everything. And then you have someone who might be more Luciferian or Gnostic or something. Donald's very Gnostic in his, in his point mm -hmm. of view. Um, all these people from all these different walks of life, all these different spiritual paths. And I says, this has to be usable by those people too. Mm -hmm. So left path, right path. Well, you know, I mean, I feel sometimes the left path people just get left out. <laughs> yeah, they do. You know, <laughs> but but they deserve, I think they, they need this kind of stuff too. They want this kind of stuff too. Mm. So well, it sounds very accessible for everyone, which is exactly what you want in a book. Well, someone right. who is well-versed in scrying or dousing already, will they have something in this book as well for them? Will, yes. Will it be yeah. A bit new? yeah. Because I have the, the dowsing I go into is very technical. I do map dowsing. I do map dowsing. I have a different approach to chart dowsing. I have a different dowsing technique. It's called uh, dot matrix dowsing, which is really good for people who don't douse well with the pendulum, who have trouble mm -hmm. using the pendulum. The dot matrix dowsing will help you with that. It's it's a very good it's a very good way of doing it. Like if you're doing financial, like you want to do Bitcoin, every, that's really popular right now, right? It is. Yes. <laughs> everybody <laughs> wants to. Everybody wants to do divination on Bitcoin on the cryptocurrencies. So how do you do that? Well, what I do is I select two, two I have a, a group of two images, image A and images B, and I have at least 10 images. 
And I randomly select one, uh, one set of those images. One set means yes, one set means no. And they're very different images. They look very different. And I say, okay, is Bitcoin going to go up or down? If it's up, image A. If it's down, image B. But I don't know what the images are. Then I say, I'm going to scry one of these images. So I scry, write down my data, and then look at the two images and see which image my data comes closest to. And then that's my answer, yes or no. Mm -hmm. Are your images simple or are they quite detailed? They're photographs. It has to be a place. It has to be a place and time, place at a specific time. So yes. set A, like I might put water in one set and not in the other set. Mm -hmm. And then, I, but I mix them up. I mean, I the, the images have to be photographed, but they, the characteristics are mixed up. So like, one A will have water in it, one B will not will be in a desert, or and then two A will be in a desert, one two uh, uh, B will be ha will have a, a water in it. Okay, mm -hmm. so I have very different characteristics in in the uh, sets so that I can't guess. Like it, you know, so I have no way of guessing which image I selected. Yeah. So and and I draw the images. I you know I put the numbers. So like I'll have like ten images. So I'll put numbers one through ten in the in the grab bag. I'll draw one out, one number out, and those are the images I'm going to work with. And I say I assign each image a value. So like A means that Bitcoin's going to go up. B means Bitcoin is going to go down in value. So then I set my time parameter over the next six months. Is Bitcoin going to go up or down? That's a net value. Okay. And then and then I do my scrying session. I look at my data and compare it to those two images and decide which image is the closest thing to what I have on paper. Mm. And have you checked your accuracy with this sort of divination as well? Yeah, yeah. Um, when I was working with APP, that's a technique we used, um, except we used remote viewing. They, they used remote viewing. I snuck in my technique. <laughs> but you just had to turn in your answer, right? Mm -hmm. um, I had, it ran from uh, about 60 to 70% to 90% mm -hmm. on that, uh, using that system. So it's very, it's, it was accurate enough that I was actually able to make some money with it. Fantastic. It, it wasn't a lot. I mean, it wasn't a lot and I'm not like, you know, inclined to put money towards things that I don't trust, mm -hmm. but, uh, but I was able, I, you know, it was a net profit overall. Mm. That's great. Wonderful. You've had so much amazing advice that you've shared here today. And I know myself, as I said to you earlier, I received your book in the post today. I was hoping to get into it before we chatted, but it's coming a long way over here to Australia with COVID delays and all of that. Uh, but I'm so excited to get into it. And thank you so much for sharing such amazing wisdom about the art of scrying and dousing and channeling and extraterrestrials and all of that good stuff. It's been fascinating. Is there any last advice you would like to give to anyone in any of those areas? Anything we didn't touch on today? Um, don't be afraid to do, to, to, to experiment, you know, get in there, get in there, learn the basic techniques, but don't be afraid to experiment, get out there and try different things. Um, you know, that's what I do. You're not going to get, you're not going to get hurt. You're probably not going to get abducted and you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's okay. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to do stuff. You know, scrying, you can get a ton of information scrying, you know, it takes time, but, but 
it takes time to learn how to do it proficiently, but you know, with a little bit of patience and, and a little bit of persistence, you can really, you can really find out some very interesting things. Amazing. And do you have a website or any social media accounts where people can follow um, along with you? On Facebook, the best way to get a hold of me on Facebook, I have a group called the Art of Scrying and Dowsing. It has a picture of the Art of Scrying and Dowsing book on there, the book cover. And that's the best place if you if you get questions or anything uh, regarding that, that's the best place to go. I have an account on Twitter, um, but I'm kind of like on and off of off of Twitter. I did have a, I do have a YouTube channel, but I don't do much on there because it's just, I mean, it's a lot of energy and effort to do that. And I would rather focus on writing because it's going to be around for a longer period of time. And I think it's more valuable to have, to write a book than it is to, to do YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. YouTube definitely takes a lot of time and effort. That's for sure. But so does a book. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for that. I'll pop links in the description box below as well for anyone who's wanting to get in touch with you. And I'm sure your book is sold wherever you can find them. It is a Llewellyn book as well. So you can buy direct from the publisher if you need yes. to. Also. It is also, you can also get it on Amazon though. I would, I think mm -hmm. getting it from the publisher is probably a better idea. Definitely. Well, thank you very, very much for your time today, Jenny. It's been absolutely lovely to chat with you. Uh, for anyone else who is listening, I'll pop all of those descriptions in the box below for the links. And if anyone would like to book in with myself for a tarot reading or astrology reading, make sure to do so uh, at suburbanwitchery.com. If you haven't already, you must have a look at my new planner that I have just popped out into the world. It is the 2022 Witchy Planner. Currently, we have physical copies for Australia and New Zealand only and digital copies copies ready for the US as well. So definitely check out that on my shop, suburbanwitchery.com forward slash shop. You can also find me on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, all those good places. And again, links will be in the description box. Thank you everyone for listening. Bye for now.